still now, like I just got off a call with our CTO and like I didn't walk into this necessarily extremely optimistic, right? We're like talking about the future, we're talking about our challenges. I mean, even four years in, like when we've had success outwardly, right? And we've had the press, we've had the acclaim, like you're struggling. I mean, it's like raising a child, right? You can raise, be really proud of your kids and there's days where you're like, shit, am I doing this right? Am I equipped to do this? My guest today is Thomas Duchin. While still in college at UNC, Thomas and some of his closest friends started Daymaker Giving. Daymaker exists to help cultivate the art of giving in the lives of children. They're using this unique platform to teach children that it truly is better to give than to receive. Over 9,000 children have chosen to give to other children in need through Daymaker so far. That's amazing. What Thomas and his team are doing hits home for me in a very significant way. As many of you may know, I'm the father to three amazing children. Every day, my wife and I are trying to do what Thomas's parents did so well for him and what my parents did so well for me, that is teach our kids the beauty and benefits of being a generous and giving person, of being generous and giving people. It's hard work, but it's so worth it. This conversation is full of amazing truth bombs and nuggets of wisdom. But before we get into our conversation, a quick word, I want to do something special for you, actually for one of you. Between now and February 8th, if you leave a review on Apple Podcasts for our podcast, I'm going to pick one of you and I'm going to send you one of our amazing Let's Give a Damn t-shirts. They're the most comfortable t-shirt you'll ever put on. I promise you that. I wear these t-shirts every single day. Well, about six days a week. They're amazing, and you'll have your choice of short sleeve or long sleeve. So go leave a review. It will take you 30 seconds. May the best person win. Now, let's get on with the show. Without further ado, this is the Let's Give a Damn podcast. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is my conversation with Wise Beyond His Years co-founder and CEO of Daymaker, Thomas Duchin. Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Nick Lapara here, and I have my new friend, Thomas Duchin, here with me across the table in Nashville, Tennessee. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing fantastic, and it is so good to be here. I've got a big smile on my face, which you cannot see, but it's funny how our paths crossed. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I'm excited to be home. All good things. Yeah. So this is home, right? Indeed. Yep. So it is funny how we met. Why don't you give like your version of the story and how like it went from just a quick, I was going to say hi to how we're sitting here a few days later. So this will be an unpaid promotion for WeWork. Um, <laughs> That's right. I was in a downtown space. Um, Nashville's a couple new WeWork spaces and met Lindsay who kind of runs, I guess, some of the WeWorks here in Nashville. Yep. Um, she looked into a little bit of what we were doing and said, I have this friend, Nick, you absolutely have to meet. Please come by 901 Woodland the following week. Say hi to Nick. Um, we had a quick conversation, I guess. Conversation turned into lunch, and now we're on a podcast. So this is turning really quickly. Um, this relationship. Yeah, we're gonna have to get that like uh, that BFF necklace, the one that the heart that splits in half. <laughs> Maybe a couple of rings yeah, as that, well. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. No, I'm super excited, and we're gonna talk about why Thomas is on the podcast here in a little bit uh, because this let's give a damn podcast. People who give a damn. So we're gonna talk about Daymaker in a few minutes, but first, why don't you give me and us some context for who you are and the steps and the things that led up to you even starting something like Daymaker versus X number of other things, right? So go as far as, as far yeah. back as you want. 
give me people, places, things, opportunities, just things that happened and take us just short of Daymaker actually starting. Yeah. So I grew up um, in the 90s in Nashville, Tennessee, um, was one of four kids, two wonderful parents that I think very much shaped who we are today. And I think what sticks out from my childhood is I believe in things carrying over generationally. Um, and so my dad is comes from a Jewish background. My mom comes from a Native American background. And so I think from a very early age, my parents will tell stories. I like really struggled with this idea of injustice, right? And so yeah. I looked at the lives that my parents had come from and their grandparents especially, who I would say experienced a lot of suffering, and then looked at this beautiful life I had. Um, I don't think I could piece together why those two things existed, right? Why some people were suffering so bad when some people had these like stable, beautiful lives. Mm. And so I think from an early age, this idea of like addressing injustice was very present. Um, we fortunately had parents that like were pushing us to go volunteer every Saturday and Sunday, had a little bit of a religious upbringing that kind of faded as I turned 10 or 11, but we were very involved volunteering with the homeless on Sundays under the bridge um, throughout our whole career. And I think I had a very formative experience um, at Innsworth High School here in Nashville, where we had a pretty robust service learning curriculum all four years. And that was something that I really think took this passion, or passion's a strong word, but like took this sense that I was struggling with injustice and said, hey, mm. here's how you call that. Here's things you can do in your each day um, systematically to address some of these things that have played out in society. I think that led me to a point where I said, like, I don't, I feel really good um, thinking about ways to help others. And that's something I think I want to do with the rest of my life. That thing you just mentioned about your high school, what did you call it? Innsworth High School. And we had a service learning service program. What did that look like? So it was great. And is that something that more, I guess I haven't heard of lots yeah. of high schools actually doing that. So I think that is, again, one of those privileges. So Innsworth is a private high yeah. school, and I think comes from that. But once a quarter, we would have a full day off of school where you would go with your, like, your homeroom or your advisory group and spend a day volunteering or spend a day creating meal kits um, for the homeless. And so in ninth and 10th grade, it was more structured. And then as you got into 11th and 12th grade, you actually got to choose how you wanted to spend that time mm. designing your own projects. And so I think you take us from our beautiful campus and these beautiful lives we lead, and we're going into like different parts of the city or different parts of rural Tennessee at 14, 15, 16, and 17. That's formative, right? Yeah. Um, and not only that, 100%. but then we would come back and spend another day talking about that, writing about that, feeling and thinking about that. So we had this experience, and then we were contextualizing that experience and really understanding, okay, like why did that group start? Why is that organization doing good work? How could that improve? What are the needs of the people in this population? And so I think I have a lot of friends that I look at in service has become a big part of their lives. And I think in large part, um, that was because of the work we did through the service learning program. I always, and it's different for every guest, I always ask, was your let's give a damn experience something that happened, you know, something dramatic? Or was it kind of a, you know, progressive thing? And it sounds like maybe it was both and in that high school experience, or was it something else? Was it some, some other circumstance that we haven't talked about yet? No, I, I think it was. I think it, I, maybe upon reflection, if I ever write a book, I could find that one moment. But I think like you have a feeling as a young kid, and I think it's no different than my feeling now, but you learn more and more and more. So my perspective in seventh grade was probably a lot different than, than senior year of high school, which is very different now. But I think all of those steps were there for a reason, and they showed me different things at different times. Um, that kind of solidified like my desire that I feel like very strongly about at this present moment. So that was high school. What happened after high school that led you to take us the gap between there and when Daymaker actually started? So I headed to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill, um, which was all six of my family members have gone. So that's oh, a very no special way. place to us. And I think, again, I was extremely privileged to have this university that 
one would show you the problems that existed in the world and then tell you that you have the ability and, this, and the skills to go solve those problems, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's really unique, again, for a 19 or 20-year-old to hear. Um, and so we headed to Chapel Hill, and we actually ended up getting started on what became Daymaker my freshman spring. Okay. So you're in school. Most people that I know, school is a tricky thing for me. I'm, I'm fairly, and this is a longer discussion for another time, <laughs> I'm fairly anti-university, anti-college for most things and people. Uh, because 90 plus percent of my friends are still in debt and aren't using the degree that they got, right? So there's a whole, it's a, that's a larger conversation. But most people that I know tell tales of <laughs> goofing off, not using that time well, uh, you know, partying, yes, classes, yes, learning and all that. But not many have a tale to tell that turns into like, what you guys created, you know, not something that it could potentially change, you know, or already is changing lives, could potentially change so many lives. And so how did that happen in, in a school environment? What were the circumstances surrounding you and your, you know, this is your time when most people are very focused on themselves and like, this is my time to, you know, go to school and learn. You and uh, the team you'll talk about decided to actually start something new. So tell me about that. That's interesting. So we're sitting in Horton Residence Hall on the south campus of UNC, um, working on Econ 410 homework, which is notoriously one of the most difficult classes there you, you have go. to get through the freshman or sophomore year. And so I think naturally we're browsing websites <laughs> while doing the work. And one it's of the us, hardest. So naturally, you're not right. Doing naturally, it. we're not focusing yeah. on it. Um, and so we started. We read an article about the growth in online giving. And so this was the first time in 2013 that online giving had crossed a 20 billion dollar threshold domestically. So to put that in perspective, the overall giving market in the United States is about 300. $63 billion. It grows with inflation. Um, and online giving was only 6% of that market, but it was growing at 14% a year. Numbers aside, the premise of, the, of this conversation was, look, the future of giving is going to be online. We're using technology to optimize all areas of life, from hailing a cab, to doing our laundry, to cleaning our homes. Giving is going to be no different. But unlike these other areas of life, convenience is not the only factor we think about when, when giving, right? Mm. We want to feel good. And so all of the platforms that we saw online, this was through that conversation that night, were like centering around making giving really easy. Hey, enter your credit card in just two clicks and send a donation, right? Log in with PayPal and, and, and create a recurring monthly donation. In our mind, we said, that doesn't make us feel good, right? And so it's like probably 3, 4 a.m. by this point, and we're still talking about this. And I think back to like what really moved us as children. And it was always helping like mm. specific families. So mm. individually, the founding team, we had all adopted families during the holiday season. Um, so I'd gone to Target, purchased those items, dropped them off at the nonprofit or the church um, or the homeless shelter and felt really good about that. And we said, why can't we feel that same way when giving online? And so that was the root of that conversation. We had no intentions necessarily of like starting a company, starting a nonprofit at that time. And we didn't know which direction we were gonna go. But we like recognized a need and we recognized something that would be very nice in our personal lives to have and something that we thought that our family and friends could relate to, which was giving that was like both convenient, but also giving that was meaningful and transparent. So that's amazing that you guys were able to process through that and begin to form what Daymaker would be. So what was the gap between that conversation and, you know, that initial conversation when you're avoiding homework to <laughs> actually starting it? And then when you get through that, what's happening? Yeah. Like, like how far removed are we from that? Like what's going on? I know that when Lindsay showed me, said, you've got to meet Thomas, look at the Daymaker website. I was like, holy shit, like this is really cool and meaningful as a father of three kids. And also just I'm with you about how 
you know, the online, I've been a part of the nonprofit space on and off for over 20 years. And the whole giving part of it is the most difficult. It's the hardest to figure out, the hardest to navigate, the hardest to pitch because you don't want to feel like you're just whoring yourself, you and your mission out. And it's just, it's a complicated conversation. Yeah. And you very rightly stated that, I don't know, it was, that was in 2013, right? 20 billion. What is it now? Do you know? It, it's, it has yeah. to be exponentially Still growing, growing 14% right? a year. So yeah. yeah. So yes, all of this is amazing. So how did that start? Well, so we had that conversation and I think very quickly we said, can we build something? And I think when I've spoken at like schools in the past and told our story, the message that I like want to leave with like those kids is like, go try. If you have an idea, yeah. there's like no reason you shouldn't give it a shot. Yeah. And I think a lot of people say, well, there's a reason somebody else hasn't done that, right? Or like, if this could have been done, somebody would have done it, but that's not true, yeah. right? Um, some of like the most exceptional and extraordinary things we have in this world are from people that like had an optimistic perspective or a slightly altered perspective, right? Some people would say crazy, but I think the idea of like, if you see something that needs to exist and especially if it's something that's good for the world, give it a shot, right? Um, cause you have no idea what that's going to look like. And yeah. so we turned around pretty quickly from the conversation and said, well, Hey, could we make it possible to adopt a family online. Like, let's try to upload 50 families from a local North Carolina nonprofit, and let's see if donors would respond to buying those items online. Um, of course, the technology is like pretty complicated. And so we found a hack where we could like screen scrape from Amazon. I remember we probably called 50 nonprofits and said, hey, is there any way you would list some families? And they were like, you guys are 18, 19. What do you mean online giving to families? Like, no, we have our adopt a family program. We're gonna run it. I remember it like came through on October 23rd, one partner in Cleveland and one partner in North Carolina happened wow. to say yes on the same day. And I remember like where I got that text from one of our early like co-founders at the time. I was like, cool, I guess we're gonna try this. And so we uploaded about 25 families, maybe a hundred donors came and gave, um, nothing off the charts, right? But enough that we said, cool, there could be something here. This is a thing. Right, the sentiment is there, the technology wasn't. And so we went to that next year and we said, let's build out a little more robust version of this. The biggest issue was still the technology side, right? We're trying to automate orders into a retailer. We did not have the technology skills to do that. We did not have the resources to get in front of those people. So this time we tried to like hack in it, not hack in, that's a strong word, but we tried to like tie into Target's API without Target really knowing to automate those orders. Um, and we had a better year. So that year we probably moved 75,000, which was 100X what we had done the year prior. And the feedback again was like pretty overwhelmingly positive to the point where we said, is there something like really here? And so we sat down with a bunch of parents, um, actually a bunch of donors that had given probably hmm, a thousand people sure. the 24th holiday season. And the overwhelming feedback was from parents. It said, look, my like little girl or little boy loved this. He or she sat in my lap. They wanted to read about all of the other kids on the site. They wanted to buy those items. And we struggled to like teach compassion. We struggled to teach generosity. And we don't have eight hours to go spend at a homeless shelter. And this was a great way to do that. And so we said, well, maybe we're onto something with this kid element, right? So we had started this thinking, like, what is a 19 or 26-year-old thinking about donating? But it seems like there's something really special when kids were helping other kids. And so that led us into start to consider what would it look like to go um, kind of year-round with this kid-to-kid -kid giving opportunity. And so that drug us into the kid's birthday space, which drug us out to L.A., and then two and a half years later, we are still focused on a kid-to-kid -kid giving experience, helping parents impart compassion and generosity in their kids um, by working with users in 50 states, 18 plus countries, um, and nonprofits that are receiving these gifts for the kids they work with in 22 plus states. That's amazing. That's amazing. Thank you. You're not a nonprofit though. You're Correct. a social enterprise, right? right? You're, a, you're a for benefit. Yeah. You're a for benefit company. <laughs> So why do that, right? So a lot of people listening, some people 
just want to find little ways in their lives that they can give a damn, amazing. Some want to start nonprofits, amazing. Some are more entrepreneurial and want to start companies, amazing. So give me the background for why not just go the nonprofit route? Why go the social enterprise route? So when we first started, um, and it's funny because those ideas you have at 18 that are completely misillusioned, perhaps, yeah, right? Sure. Um, I think I still feel similarly, maybe with some more data at this point. But we said that we never wanted to charge the donor to give, and we never wanted to charge a nonprofit to receive. So mm -hmm. that was one of our very early tenants, right? And we said there's so much friction in giving because you don't know where your money is going. Oh, yeah. People are taking money off the top. Um, we don't want to like be in the same room as a conversation about overhead. Um, like let's like prevent charging to give. And then we said, like, how do we think we can maximize our impact, right? Um, and so we're sitting on this idea of like fostering product donations. And inherently, like, you know, there's money behind products. How is Target? How is Kroger? How is Walmart making money? And so we thought, is there, is there some wild scenario where we could make more of an impact if we were generating revenue? And instead of going to a group of donors and saying, hey, um, we need you to cover our costs to run this every year or having to make money off of the donor or the nonprofit, if we had a revenue stream it that we could grow as we needed to, we could grow quickly. We could hire the best people. And so we decided probably without much data at that point, like, hey, it's also just easier to create a corporation than it is to like, it's like a six month process at the time, what we saw to create a 501c3. And so we went the for-profit route, but now where we sit and why it's something I'm really proud of is because we're able to hire the best people. We're yeah. able to invest in growth. We're able to take chances on partnerships that may or may not work out. And we're still not charging the donor to give or the Love nonprofit it. to receive. And so I think as you think about the future of, of business, anything about the future of impact, I think it's going to be at this intersection of profit and purpose. I think mm. it's going to be People that are saying, look, our primary goal is to like make a difference in people's lives. But if you're making a difference in people's lives, there's likely a revenue stream there, right? But more importantly, like you cannot avoid the fact that we live in a capitalist society and money drives America. Yeah. So if you can find a way that like you can transition that money driving America to do a lot of good, I think the sky's the limit there, right? Um, giving has not grown since the 1960s. It's been 2% of GDP. It's been about 6% of people no in way. middle to higher income classes. To think that like we're gonna give more because tax codes change, that's crazy, right? We yeah. don't give because of tax codes. We give because it makes us feel good. But yeah. if you can find a way to foster that good feeling while also generating revenue and growing, I don't think there's anything better than that. And so I like where we are at this intersection. I think in five years, I might say that was a mistake. Um, or in five years, I think we might see a lot of companies that are going this direction. And I think you already are, right? Whether yeah, it's Patagonia tons. or it's Warby Parker or it's Tom's. And I think there's some conversation around the Tom's model and if it's good for local communities, but their intention is there, right? Yep. And I think you can build a really good business that's at the intersection of these two. But I think it is so, so important. And before we've taken any investor's money, we've always said, look, the number one thing we care about is like doing good. And like our number one thing is like opening people's hearts through giving. And that is gonna be the framework by which we make every decision revenue second. By the way, I think because we're making decisions on that premise, we're going to make you a lot more money. Sure. We're going to see bigger returns Always. because we're invested in the donor experience. We're invested in the people receiving, but just know we're not going to make decisions based on revenue. And this gets to a longer conversation of this idea that we think about our stock exchange and we are measuring companies' performances by quarters. That is outrageous. Yeah. Nothing significant is done in a quarter, no. right? Significant things are done in decades. Yeah. And even like the great innovations don't happen in a quarter. And so to think that we're punishing companies for taking risks and not seeing a higher bottom line um, and we're, we're rewarding companies that are maximizing short-term profits, I think it's a race to the bottom. And so I think if you think about these companies that are thinking, okay, well, how do we build a company for 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years? Um, that is how you do something significant. And that is how you do something that helps people and that stays true to who you are and isn't beholden to like numbers you're reporting a month from now.
So that was more than you asked for, but no, that's exactly no, yeah. that's exactly why I asked because I, how do I say this without discouraging someone? Because I think there are still many nonprofits that need to be started, right? But I've been a part of that world. There's so much tension around raising money and and how to do it well, and I've seen so many bad decisions made in that space because you're totally dependent on. Yeah, you don't have a pro- you're not selling a product. You don't have something to to sell a service to offer really. You're just hoping that people keep sending in their money, right? And you're keeping them happy. There was a period of my life where I lived off of donor support for 5 years. And it was grueling because I spent 25% of my time keeping them happy. So they're sending their money to do a certain job right? Maybe more than 25%. They're sending me their money to do X number of things. But then I have to, I spend a lot of my time reporting back to them, visiting them, hanging out with them so that they know that their money's going to the right place, right? And so I was able to get way less done in that environment, right? And so if anyone is listening and they want to start a nonprofit, there are still so many that need to be started. Don't be discouraged. My point is, I think there will be more day makers started, Right yeah. in these next few years, because it has been proven, Daymaker, Samasource, so many others that I look up to that are profitable, they are making a huge impact. They're being very transparent about the money and how it's used and all of that, but they are doing it in a for benefit, for profit way. Yeah. And I do want to say there's certainly a role, I think a combination of all of it is good, right? Because I look at like some of our nonprofit partners are facilitating donations that are yeah. doing, and in a non-religious sense, what I would say like God's work yeah. um, in the South side of Chicago. And like, there's no revenue stream to be had for them, right? They're like taking money and they're turning that into mindfulness training. They're turning that into food on the table. They're turning that into like uh, educational activities during the summer. And it's hard to say, well, like make money off of that, right? So I think there is a combination of the the worlds that need to exist. Mm. But I hope we get to like a paradigm where people say, they, they, they don't say, I want to do good. I need 501c3, right? They say, I want to do good. What kind of good do I want to do? Here's all of the channels that can work. Um, because I think there are some times that like that purer raising donations, receiving a tax deduction, the nonprofit using that money. There's a lot of good things that come from that. I think what you mentioned about like reporting and having to fundraise and being beholden to donors' requests, those are all like, those are pretty dangerous, right? Yeah. And I can like greatly minimize the impact of the work that is oh, being yeah. done. And then so that gets into a conversation of, well, what if we cut all the, the bullshit and we focus on cash transfers to the poor, right? What if we like cut out all these middle, middle ground and just took money and gave it directly to the people who need it? And I think there's like an interesting conversation sure. we had around that. Because that is kind of like the sentiment that we're both speaking to in a way that like there's still no revenue generating piece of, of cash transfers to, yeah. to low income neighborhoods. Thomas, if you could snap your fingers and your wildest daymaker dreams were to come true, yeah. right? If it was that easy, which it's not, what would that look like? Like what do you envision in the future for in the in the best version of the future for you and for what you guys are doing? Yeah. So let's say it's twenty twenty five, right? Um yeah. In my mind, in an ideal world, there are one million kids that are getting picked up from school on that Thursday afternoon, and they're saying, "Hey, mom or dad, um, can I like get your phone? I want to like make somebody's day, right? I want to log on Daymaker." And they're getting on Daymaker, and they're saying, "Hey, welcome back, Sarah. You've helped 16 kids this year in this and the, through these channels, right? And here's four other opportunities you have to help somebody, or here's four things that aren't related to Daymaker that you could do, do good in the world. Report that back to us. We're going to reward you. We're going to build this profile around your giving." I think it's the idea and the greater sentiment there is that kids consistently engaging in doing good because they want to. And creating giving that is proactive rather than reactive is something we talk a lot about. 
I think we're starting to see that. We have a really long way to go, but I think it's a it's both scale and it's both depth of that scale, right? So it's not having 15 million people give during the holiday season. That's great, right? But it's only good if there's people that are using this every month mm. and feeling that good of giving every single month because that's how you form a habit, right? Yep. And the reality is it's great for all these people that come give on Daymaker once a year during the holidays. And it's really good that those gifts are making a giant difference in kids' lives. And I would encourage you to do that. But I think the difference that's being made is, is the child and who's, who comes with his or her parent or parents and does this six to 12 times a year, right? And that's how we raise this generation that like loves to give and thinks about others before themselves and recognizes connection when it's there and celebrates that connection. And that's like what gets my heart really excited. Yeah, it seems like you're excited about helping people give all year round, right? Which we've talked about a little bit over the last couple of days because... I saw a prominent entrepreneur that I love and follow, and he's he's very admirable. He's an amazing dude. But he, he tweeted something out just before Christmas, 23rd, 22nd, and he said, you know, I love giving to those in need, especially during the holidays, right? And he said it in a way that made me like, it just made me think, that's so interesting. I think so many people think that way, that, that people only need stuff during the holidays, right? And so it, because they don't embody the habit, you rightly named it, it's a habit of giving where it's something that I habitually do. They give these certain times of year when it seems righter to do it, when it seems more right to do it. And so I'm not, I'm not, it's not all speaking to his philanthropic stuff. Other times of the year, I don't know what he does, but it seemed like he was saying, yeah, I give more this time of the year. And that doesn't set well with me because somebody that's hungry, someone that is without, someone that needs their bills paid, someone that, you know, X, Y, and Z, those things don't increase from the 20th to the 25th of December. They're there all the time. They're always hungry. They're always poor. They're always needing help. They're always needing, or their kids, you know, need stuff, right? With Daymaker. So what do you think about that? And what do you guys envision that, what's your part in that conversation? Yeah. So. 33% of giving is done in the last six weeks of the year, right? Yeah. 33%. And so the optimistic version of me says people frame giving, people get how their donation makes a difference in December. It's cold outside, right? Yep. There's kids that don't have Christmas gifts or Hanukkah gifts or Kwanzaa yep. gifts. And like I, as a donor, can empathize with what it means not to have gifts, right? Because sure. my kids do have gifts. And so I think it's a time that people give because they understand their donation is really making a difference. I don't think it has to do with the tax deduction that comes at the end of the year. Mm. So few of charitable contributions are even claimed on tax deductions, right. right? It has to do with the fact that people know that their donation is making a difference and people I think are inherently good and want that difference to be made. So what does it look like if we let people know in the other nine, 10 months of the year that that donation is making the same difference and presenting it in a way that they can understand, right? So we've seen some success within kids' birthdays because I think similar to holidays, they can understand what it's like if a kid is turning seven and has no presents and no cake, right? And no celebration. And so what are other ways we can find to really connect a donor with the cause that are happening the 10 months out of the year because all of those needs still exist. And it might look different, right? Around Christmas, it may be holiday gifts to make a child feel special. But when they're going back to school, they really need a new pair of pants and a shirt and a backpack, right? Mm. When it's the new year, it's this time of year, they really need that winter jacket. So I think if we can do a good job of presenting donors of, hey, here's a need at this time of year and here's why it really makes a difference, I think we can create an experience um, that has people feeling and thinking like they do around December or November. Why do you do it? So you're a bright thinker, and I assume you've probably had other opportunities to do other things, and you've you know chosen this admirable way of you know making money and making a living, and for however long it lasts. What what's the impetus for doing Daymaker versus any number of other things that could have made you more money at this point, or 
I don't know, just what's driving, what's getting up in the morning to continue to do this work? So I think I, we hold on to like a reckless optimism, right? And I think that I don't want to live in a world where like this doesn't work. And mm -hmm. so like every day I'm fighting to say, this is the world that like, this has to be true. We have to like to give more than we like to receive. We like have to see others happy because like what would a world look like where that stuff isn't true, right? And humans are inherently selfish and self-motivated and unkind. And so for me, Daymaker is a way of kind of like affirming my belief in the world I believe that like I need to have to get up every day and feel really mm. good about myself and feel good about the community around me. And then, so I think um, that is one piece of it. I think a really large second piece is like, it feels really, really good. Like all this stuff we're preaching about kindness and compassion, like we get to try to practice that each and every day. And I am so much of a better person because I talk and think about these things every day than I was two years ago, four years ago, or six years ago, right? I don't think it's selfless at all. I think people are like, this is great work you're doing. Sure. This is fantastic, but I think it's actually pretty selfish. It makes me feel really good to get up and do what we try to do every day. And I think there's nothing more powerful than, than the creative energy it takes to will something into existence, right? And so we're trying to build something from scratch. We're trying to raise this baby, but it's a baby that we believe can like make the world look a way that really makes us feel good and feel optimistic and feel like one with the universe and everything that's out there. And so every day is a new challenge, but it's a challenge rooted in this idea that people are good, people are kind, and that we're like all connected as humans. And that's something that we're reminded of each and every day. Um, and it's something that like I'm really grateful to have as, as my nine to seven, nine to eight, nine to nine every day. So the people listening to the podcast are amazing people. I hear from them all the time. I get at least once a day. I'm so grateful for them. And I'm not joking when I say that. At least once a day, I get a direct message or a tweet or an email or something from somebody saying, uh, I'm a new listener. I've been listening for a while. This conversation, that conversation, this really rocked me. This really helped me. Um, and even with our small platform, that that like means the world to me, you know, and I'm trying to figure out more ways to help people like that because really, Let's Give a Damn exists to take excuses away from people. That's really right. what I see myself as. Yeah. Nothing more. There's a lot of in sources of inspiration. I'm not really trying to inspire. I'm not really trying to, I'm trying to take away the excuses everybody comes up with for not giving a damn on a daily basis because there are so many opportunities. So that's the kind of people listening. They're the ones uh, coming back week after week to hear these stories. Based on your experiences, your life, the things you've gone through, the things you're experiencing now with Daymaker, what advice do you have? So somebody's saying, I want to give a damn. I want to give back. I want to help. I want to find my thing or my things that will give me the sort of purpose that Thomas is talking about. What advice do you have for them? You know, they're making excuses. They're just they're just not taking the leap. What would you, one, two, three pieces of advice, pieces of wisdom that you would share with them? Yeah, and I love the premise of let's give a damn, right? Um, because it is saying, there's almost an inherent recognition of we are good in that. Like you yeah. want to give a damn, like let's just get to that point, 100%. right? We don't need to convince you to give a damn. We just need to remove these barriers. Yeah. There was a quote once that like, the whole purpose of life is not to find love, but to remove the obstacles to love, right? It's great. And so I think yeah, it's no different than, so than this, right? So what, what advice do I have? I think I would say above all else, like go within. I think if you give yourself the space and the stillness to like look within, I think you're going to find the work that you want to do, right? I think oftentimes we're, 
when we're seeking and we're longing, we like accumulate a lot of information and we go read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts. And I think that information can help shape what we're doing. But ultimately, I think you have to look within and say like, what is speaking to me? What is calling to me? Whether you believe in a higher power or not, we all have this like great power that's within us. And I think listening to that and following that intuition can lead somebody to really good places. And then I would, I would ask, does anybody ever take a leap and isn't happy they took that leap. I, I don't know many people in my life that have ever shot yeah. for something, even if they fail miserably and didn't say I'm better because of it, right? Yeah. And so I think we know that as humans, like we know that like trying new things and pushing ourselves is really rewarding. Yet we always come up with these excuses why not to. And so I think just being aware of that, of like, hey, I'm scared. Like I, I could come up with all these reasons why it's not a good time and I have kids and I have a great paying job and I'm about to get a promotion. But like under all that is I'm just like really scared what happens if I don't make this, right? What it means for my identity, what it means for my family. But I don't know many people who have taken that leap and, and haven't come back and said, wow, I'm a better person because of that. And so, yeah, I would like, I hope everybody has a chance in their life to like go on a journey where they are like trying to create something, right? And I think when you're creating something that's for the world, there's nothing more rewarding as a human. Um, and there's like a lot of bad days. I mean, like you deal with like a lot of things, but I think vehicle, these entities, whether it's a company, an organization, a grassroots project, I think they become like vehicles for our own growth, our own discovery. And Daymaker has been that for me in my own context. And I'm so grateful for that, right? It takes on all these things that like I probably came to figure out on this earth. Um, I'm learning a lot through Daymaker. I'm having to confront a lot of my inner struggles with Daymaker as that expression because there's this thing I care so much about that I don't want to limit through myself. So there's such, there's like such a wonderful world out there. Yeah. Um, there's so many wonderful people. Go experience that. Don't hold yourself back because when you're 75, you're not going to care if you made $250,000 or $60,000 in your 33rd year of life, right? You're not going to care how much you pass along to your kids and your inheritance. You're probably not going to care what your identity or the, the legacy you left behind, right? I think you're going to care about how you made people feel. And I think there's a lot of really wonderful work that can be done in the space of how do we make people feel. Yeah. I love it. In the beginning of this podcast, the one that just came out today, yeah. it's not, not this podcast, but the, <laughs> my podcast that came out today with uh, Ben Sterchuk, I read this quote and it's, it goes along with something you just said from Neil Gaiman. He said, I hope that this year to come you make mistakes because if you're making mistakes, then you are making new things, trying new things, learning, living, pushing yourself, changing yourself, changing your world. You're doing things you've never done before and more importantly, you're doing something. I love that quote because- yeah. It really speaks to what you just said, where it's like, you're never going to regret taking a leap. It might be scary as hell, and it will be. And you might fail at that first leap, and the second leap, and the third leap, and the fourth. But you might have 50 leaps that you fail at before one, you actually land it. But you won't regret it. That's the point, is that if, if it is people-centered, if it's about people, if it's about helping people, you're not going to regret it. Because that's what true, life is truly about. If you make money in the process, fantastic. If you do all these wonderful things and travel the world in the process, fantastic. But none of those things are going to make you super happy on your deathbed. It's funny. We, we seek these endpoints, and I am no better than anybody else. I'm always saying, in two years, if we have this, I will be happy. But yeah. it's all about the journey, right? Yep. It's all about like the failures and how you as a person respond to those failures or how you as a person respond to those successes. But there's like a journey to be had for everybody, right? And so if you're living a life that is just like limiting your journey, like, come on, you're missing out, right? Because life isn't about the paycheck you're going to take home and you're not going to be happy at the end of this year. It's like experience the journey and the journey is going to be a lot wilder of a ride if you're like trying to do something new, creative, that's making a difference. And if it's people-centered, like you said. How old are you? 
I am 23. 23. So also... So you, caveat everything I've said with a very limited life wisdom. <laughs> no, 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 totally. And I, I think, yeah, so he's 23 and, you know, but I think there's a humility in the way that you're speaking it where you're not like this like overlord, like shouting at people. You're you're speaking from your own wisdom. So I think everybody's going to hear that and they're gonna, that's that's communicated super well. But what, I'm, what I want to point out is that 23-year-olds can make a difference for those listening. I find so many people that are in their 20s, especially 20s. I don't know, 20s is a weird time because society tells you you're not supposed to have your shit together yet and that you can like, you have this decade to kind of fool around and figure out what you want to do. And that's true. You don't have to have it together. Nobody's expecting you. Thomas doesn't have it together. I don't have it together. (laughs) My point is don't wait, right? That's my point is you could be creating something substantial if you just tried, right? And if you're scared of failing, you're going to fail multiple times before you get it right. Uh, how many nonprofits did you guys call trying to partner, right? Like you you could have given up two or three in and said, no, nobody wants this, right? But you kept calling, kept calling, kept calling, kept calling. Then you got Cleveland and North yeah. Carolina. Like you're not too young to start something, to launch something, to get something going. It doesn't have to be Daymaker. It doesn't have to be a company, but do something, stop making excuses, get off your couch, get off your Netflix <laughs> binges and do something. And I, and I would also say still now, I think there's a really unhealthy narrative around, especially the startup world. Still now, like I just got off a call with our CTO and like I didn't walk into this necessarily extremely optimistic, right? We're like talking about the future, we're talking about our challenges. I mean, even four years in, like when we've had success outwardly, right? And we've had the press, we've had the acclaim. Like you're struggling. I mean, it's like raising a child, right? You can raise, be really proud of your kids. And there's days where you're like, shit, am I doing this right? Am I equipped to do this? Um, and so I think like even for those who are listening that are pretty far in and have had success or those that are on the verge of success or those that are just starting, like it's never going to be easy because it's not supposed to be easy, right? Yeah. And I guarantee you Jeff Bezos has days where he considers himself a failure or where he's struggling with self-worth, right? I mean, he's, he's running three of the most successful companies um, in the world that are innovating, but it's all relative. And so know that like every day, the, the big wins in 2013 feel the same as the big wins now today, even though the big yeah. wins today are of such greater magnitude. And then as it comes to age, um, I've talked to a lot of my friends who are working at Goldman Sachs and McKinsey and Deloitte, and there's nothing wrong with that. If that's your path, do that. But they, they always say to me of like, no, I want to do good for the world, but I'm like, not right now, right? I, I'm going to wait till like, wait. Let, yep. let me make some money and I'm going to sit I'm on the board. Make my first house, my second house, right. get stable. I like want to do good, but like this is an opportunity in front of me. And I'm like... <laughs> you want to succeed by the metrics of how many homes you're owning, right? Or what's yep. in your bank account. But you, you're you such a smart person, you know that that is not happiness, yeah. right? Like take that leap tomorrow and just see what it feels like. Yep. Goldman Sachs will still be there. Yep. McKinsey will still be there. Yep. All those big ad agencies, they are still there yep. and they will hire you, right? At 24 or 22. There's an inclination to go do something like post-graduation and I know how you feel about college, but for those that are graduating, totally. like take the leap and see what happens. Go work on a campaign for a year and see how that feels, right? To be around people that want to do good and see if that inspires you because I'm pretty damn sure it will. And if it doesn't, Goldman Sachs is still there. Um, and then I think there's so many people below 23 that have done 100x what we have done in our age, right? There are people so at 13, 14, 15, 16 doing incredible things for the world because they had an idea and they said, I'm going to try this. I'm not going to be scared of what will happen. And we all have that within us, right? So like take the chance and maybe if you don't want to lead, like find a leader you really like and follow. Yep. Find something you respect that you can learn from whose perspective of the world you value and admire and hop on that train and go. Um, because there's nothing like being around people 
that are optimistic, that believe in the world, that like want to will something into existence, right? Like that will make you a better person. That will make your journey more interesting. And so do that because the journey at Goldman Sachs, there's a lot of people that have taken that journey and there's struggle in that. There's a lot you probably have to learn about yourself and self-worth there too, but go create your own journey, right? Go do something yeah. new, different. Because I think like that's how we accumulate this wealth of human knowledge. That's how we share our experiences and following in the footsteps of something that might be safe isn't something that I think activates us deeply. It's not something that brings us great joy. And I don't mean that in a critical way. I mean, I struggle with this each and every day as yeah. well. And this is only to my experience, but there's a lot out there to experience. Um, I hate that it's limited by these constructs we built of success. Yeah, I love that. Gave more than two pieces of, two, three pieces of advice, <laughs> but I love it. No, it was all super, super helpful. Uh, before I ask the last couple questions, I just want to take a moment to honor you and the work that you're doing. I love your reckless optimism. I love the idea that you had that you're that you've acted upon and now it's becoming this thing that is helping so many people i know as a parent of a five just turned six the other day as a, now a six of four and a three-year-old getting gifts is a beautiful thing and it's something that can change outlook on life and outlook on uh, a situation and a circumstance in life and so i'm really really grateful for you know, with the work that you're doing that is literally making people's day um, all over. And and so keep going. Like we're the Let's Give a Damn family. After they hear this, we'll be your cheerleaders and um, super excited about the work that you're doing. But I just wanted to honor your reckless optimism yeah. and um, encourage you to keep going. Um, we really appreciate that. And we're only in this spot because there's a, people like you who like care to stop us and say, hey, thank you. Yeah. Like this matters. This yeah. is important. And like that means so much. Yeah. And I think those uplifting comments across the way. So for those listening, I mean, turn that around and like, look at a person you're proud of in your life and like say thank you, right? Yeah. Um, because it matters. Today, right now, don't wait. Yeah. Yeah, text, um, email, something, <laughs> phone call, yeah. in person. I think there's like nothing, I've talked a lot about this holiday break about like celebrating those around us. Because mm. when we feel celebrated, we feel like we can do anything, right? So find somebody to celebrate in your life and like help them become a better human, help give them the space to explore themselves. But like comments like that for us are really meaningful because they do just that. Someday you're gonna die. Hopefully it's many, many years <laughs> from now. The hypothetical part of the scenario I'm about to paint is that uh, when you die, I, for some reason, am chosen to give your eulogy. So all of your family, your friends, your co-founders, people at Daymaker, if you're still doing Daymaker at that, at that point, I'm sure you'll be doing other things in your life, but the kids you've helped, the families you've helped, they're all there. It's a big room, it's crowded, and they're there to celebrate and mourn your life. And again, hypothetically, I was chosen to give you a eulogy. In a few sentences, what do you hope that I'll say about you on that day? Two thoughts come to mind. Um, I would hope that somebody would look at me and say, he practiced kindness at both a micro and a macro level. So while he was pursuing these ideas of equality and tackling injustice and taking on systems that aren't fair to certain populations, he was also kind to those around him, to his community, to those holding the door for him, right? I think sometimes I can get lost in, okay, but we're chasing these big ideas. I, I can't worry about this right now, but these big ideas don't matter if my here and now isn't something I'm really proud of, right? Um, and then I think the second idea, and I think this is something that I shared at lunch between us, is you cannot make somebody happy. You cannot answer the questions for somebody in life, but everybody deserves the opportunity to ask the questions that matter to them. And so many people 
don't even get to ask the questions because they're hungry, because they're uneducated, because they're abused, because they have incredible trauma, right? If we can create a world, and if I can be a part of that, where everybody has the opportunity to ask the questions that matter, then that's a beautiful thing. And will that happen in the next 80 years? Absolutely not. Do I believe it will happen? Yes. And I think that's something that I come back to again and again and again, because there's so many people that have so much and that so much doesn't enable them to ask the questions that matter. Maybe you get to a point where you have so much wealth that you're unhappy and you do look inward for a little bit. But if we could share some of that excess and, and give people who have absolutely nothing, don't have the privilege to ask the questions, the ability to ask them the questions that matter, I think that's a beautiful thing. And so I hope that someday on my deathbed, words would be spoken that like I at least tried. And that for seven years, I kept that belief. And even when like the world crushed me, I kept hanging on to this idea that every individual, every human by the nature of being born should have the privilege of asking the questions that matter to them. I think if you accomplish that, life well lived. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know you'll keep trying. I know you'll keep trying. And that's the main thing is despite the failures, despite yeah. the things that go wrong, which will inevitably go wrong, you keep trying. Last question, what do you want people to go look for? Website, social media handles, what do you want them to know about uh, for you and Daymaker and everything else? So we're daymaker.com. All of our social handles are at Daymaker Giving. I like what we do on Instagram. We have fun with that and cool. Facebook. So follow along if, if you feel inclined. And then if you would, there's a chance you would go out today as you listen to this or as you put your headphones down as we wrap up in the next couple of minutes. Go out and like try to be kind to somebody who wasn't expecting it. And whether that's like holding a door and giving somebody a smile or it's like leaving a few extra dollars at the counter to buy the next thing somebody comes up with. Try one small act of kindness today. Just see what it does, see how it makes you feel. And I think also know that while you're doing that, there's thousands of others that are maybe hearing the same words and trying that act and feel like the community that comes from that. I think there's something really special there. So if you're gonna do one of the two, do the kindness and then the daymaker. But if you feel compelled, daymaker.com at daymakergiving. I love it, I love it. Thomas, thank you so much for joining me today. We'll yeah. keep up with you and uh, this was awesome. Thanks for having me. And thank you for all the listeners who cared to give a damn and listen to Nick and all the great work he's doing because it is so, so important. Thanks everyone for joining Thomas and me today. What an amazing human. So much amazing stuff going on with that team. You can find links, resources, and show notes for this conversation and all the others. Plus, you can find other ways to join in on what we're doing by going to shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. Again, that's shownotes.letsgiveadam.com. If this content is adding value to your life in any way, my one big ask, as always, is that you go to Apple Podcasts right now, put it on pause or finish this, and leave us a five-star review. It helps us a ton. I truly am so grateful you decided to join me week after week to listen to these stories and learn from these amazing humans. I hope you'll continue to join me, and I hope you'll tell at least one person this week about this conversation. Love you all. Until next time, keep it giving so many dams, my friends. Goodbye. Goodbye.